Hi, I'm Sien Xiao. And I'm Sammy Winemaker. We talk to people who have information and tips on how to unlock a better illness experience. The waiting room revolution starts right now. Welcome to our spring series, where we feature intimate conversations taken from our In the Waiting Room with live events. This episode, we feature Jose Pereira. Welcome to our In the Waiting Room with series. Today, we have Dr. Jose Pereira in the waiting room with us. Hi, Jose. Hi, Sarah. Thank you very much. <laughs> He's a professor and director of the Division of Palliative Care in the Department of Family Medicine at McMaster University, where I work as well. And he's the scientific officer of Pallium Canada and co-founded the organization in 2000. Pallium Canada's mission is to build primary level palliative care capacity. We'll hear more about that from Jose. And to get um, and to help uh, advance the compassionate communities movement. We'll hear more about that too. It has done this mainly through uh, its interprofessional LEAP courses. Um, and we're so thrilled to have Jose joining us today. So welcome again. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. <laughs> it's more exciting for us. <laughs> Jose, so <laughs> tell us about Pallium and how it started and what is it? Good. So you described it quite quickly, uh, very well there. Um, so Pallium reaches out to try train as many healthcare professionals across the country as possible in these basic uh, skills um, that we call the palliative care approach, so that any Canadian who has palliative care needs will be able to start receiving it from any of the professionals looking after them. And, and also, as you said, we try and promote the whole concept of the compassionate communities. So we're helping developing compassionate communities across the country. Um, where it started, I think, is an interesting story because it actually started with a patient. And um, so his name is George. I mentioned he's George because I've got the permission from his family to do so. So I was, uh, I just, I moved to Canada back in 1992 and I'd been working for a few years in a very small rural community in Manitoba. And one day um, George came in with his wife into my practice. Um, he wasn't in my practice. In fact, he came from a neighboring community and he said to me, uh, Doc, I know that I'm dying. I've got uh, colon cancer and I know I've got only a few months to live. I've been to a few doctors to try to help me. No one seems to be able to help me. And my problem is that I've got excruciating pain. I cannot live like this in whatever time I have left. And I remember at that moment, not knowing what to do because I'd received no training in palliative care. In fact, to be honest, I didn't even know the word uh, palliative at the time. And I ended up giving him the wrong uh, information. I said to him, I can't increase his opioid because you'll become addicted, which today I know is wrong in, mm -hmm. in, in that setting. If you use it properly, it's safe and very effective. Mm -hmm. And I also couldn't give him advice on how to improve these other sources of suffering. And he got up, went to the door, turned around to me, and both him and his wife were crying. And they turned to me and they said, I hope one day people like you, in other words, doctors, nurses, uh, we hope one day people like you can look after people like us. And they walked out of the room and I was devastated. I mean, he was obviously even more devastated than his wife than I was, but I thought how embarrassing it is that I can't help. And this is, I felt embarrassed for myself as a professional mm -hmm. and my profession. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so uh, went to the, ca the little coffee room we had. There was a friend there, a nurse. I, I, I told the story. And the next day on my desk was a, 
um, advertisement for a course held at McMaster University. Mm -hmm. And so I phoned up McMaster. I said, can I come? And they said, sorry, it's full. And I said, no, you don't understand. I'm the only doc around here. And they said, well, we'll put you in the waiting list. And um, I flew anyway and um, bought a little fold-up chair and arrived here at, at, at Hamilton with a fold-up chair. I said, well, you can't send me back to Hamilton now. Anyway, I went on to then specialize in palliative care. And I always had George's, uh, 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 what he said to me in mind. And so in 2000, I set up Pallium. And the whole idea of Pallium is that doctors like us, like all across the country, are able to look after people like George. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we take the courses um, the teaching right to the communities right across the country. Mm -hmm. And so what are you most proud of over the past 20 years that you've been at this? So uh, the, uh, how it's spread, it's spread across the country. You know, in 20 years, we, we estimate, and we've got good numbers from 2014 onwards, but if we go back all the way back to 2000, 2001, about 50,000 healthcare professionals have been touched in one other way by leap by pallium and leap either through the courses there have been about 30,000 people have done the courses and then another 20,000 that have either joined the pallium webinars or the pallium online um, uh, uh, modules and and we hear all over the stories about how it's made a difference how an educator in northern manitoba was able to take this and teach these his colleagues um, in the small communities um, so i think for me that's been the, the biggest one what has been the biggest challenge uh, spreading the word about pallium or leap? Good question. Um, so I would say one of the biggest one, and, I, and to answer that, I'll share the analogy of a car, right? When you purchase a car and you go to the, to the, to this, to the gas station, you fill it up. It doesn't mean that it's filled up for the rest of its life and you never have to go back to the garage to fill it up. The point I'm making is that this work requires funding. You know, one needs to hire people to do the work, needs to bring professionals from across the country together. Um, and so the biggest challenge has been getting funding. And it's been 20 years of every year advocating, 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 going to provincial governments and federal governments and some years not getting funded at all, you know, and then we've got to lay off some people and other years we get funding. So I would say that that's the, the biggest one. And then the second one is an interesting one. And that is, and I think it's a product of those of us who are academics and our academic institutions um, require that we show productivity. And often that productivity is in the form of doing research and developing new programs and publishing papers. And so there's sometimes a push to duplicate, you know, to, to, to reinvent the wheel as it were. Mm. So people would redevelop courses that have already been developed instead of using uh, what we've already done. Mm -hmm. I would say those are the two of the big one, uh, biggest ones. I um, am a LEAP graduate myself. Uh, I, I remember when I was doing my training, um, I took the LEAP course, which at the time was two full days, and I loved it um, many years ago. And then I became a LEAP facilitator. Did you yeah. know I'm one of your LEAP facilitators? I, I know, and you're one of our coaches. You're one of like... Oh, and I am a coach too. <laughs> but this right. isn't... A it's not about me, but <laughs> I wanted to... No, but, uh, but the point you... We've got, got 900 facilitators across the country now and we've got yeah. as much smaller number there are about 50 60 coaches like the the cream of the crop as it were in terms of teaching so you thank know, you it, thank you because every time i teach a leap course i have to tell you that um 
it never fails that light bulbs go off for the nurses and the pharmacists and the doctors who take the two-day course. They come in with these ideas about palliative care and what their role is or isn't or when someone deserves palliative care. And it's even just in the very first session, they're like, oh, it's mind-blowing how mm-hmm. um, we myth bust and things like that. And I just love, it's such a satisfying course to teach. Um, speaking of which, uh, it used to be, well, when I took it and when I taught it, it was in person. And I know that there's always been some online compo- component, but right. how have you had to shift the way you teach during COVID? And have you slowed down? Gosh, no, we're not slowing down. In fact, the meeting I've just come from now was all about how can we now um, uh, scale this up? So yeah, we've been doing online learning now since 2001. In fact, the predecessor of Pallium Canada uh, was a course that was done in Alberta uh, called Pelke Ednet back in 1998 and 1999 was the very first completely online course that was accredited by the College of Family Physicians for Palliative Care. Anyway, so, so we've had this experience, but we've never had to do this at such a large scale. So mm-hmm. as soon as the lockdown occurred in mid-March, we were into our, uh, you know, onto our desks to, to, to turn around everything to be virtual. And because there are 18 different course versions, so there's one for healthcare professionals working in primary care, there's one for emergency department, there's one for hospitalists, there's one for the paramedics, all those mm-hmm. courses had to be transformed into the online. So mm-hmm. it's been a massive operation by a fantastic group of people from right across the country to mm-hmm. put this all online. Mm-hmm. For me, what's going to be interesting is what happens in the future, because mm-hmm. I think that some of it will remain online and there, there, there are ways that, that it really helps spread out the education. But mm-hmm. I'm afraid that we might also lose some of the important face-to-face dynamics that you were mm-hmm. referring to. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that we can find that right recipe of just the right combination moving forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I'm going to put you on the spot. Yeah. Um, how do you define palliative care, Jose? Ah, that's an interesting question because I'm suddenly reminded of I was involved in the World Health Organization in 2002 redefined or looked at its definition of what palliative care was. And, mm-hmm. and I was brought into that process. There were some uh, experts from around the world that they were reaching out to. And, and I remember the debate around that time. And, and one of the interesting things was that there was this, there was this two schools, um, one school that said palliative care is an approach. In other words, it is applicable to everyone for Mm -hmm. everyone, all healthcare professionals, all patients, cancer or Mm -hmm. non-cancer. And there was another school of thought that said, well, it's a specialty area. I was in the school of thought that says palliative care is an approach that all healthcare professionals and the community needs to be involved with as well. This is not just a health services or health professionals thing. It's everyone's business. So I was, I believe that palliative care is, first of all, occurs much earlier in the illness. It's not just the last days or weeks. And that's one of the greatest myths, as you know, mm-hmm. and we see the outcome of that in our clinical work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just admitted a patient yesterday where there'd been very little palliative care. And then now all of a sudden they're in the last days of life and that, and major issues. And, and I looked at it, and I thought, opportunities last year for months and months where we could have been improving quality of life mm-hmm. while someone was being treated for a disease, mm-hmm. be it cancer or non-cancer. Um, I do believe that 
um, all healthcare professionals need those core competencies. I also believe we also need specialist services for mm -hmm. the for the most difficult cases. But for me, the most important thing is part of care is about improving the quality of life and living in whatever time one has left. Mm -hmm. And for some people, it can start months and months and years before. Uh, sometimes the disease is much more rapid, in which mm -hmm. case it needs to be activated. While you are feverishly teaching healthcare providers um, it, uh, through Pallium and LEAP, um, Sienna and I pivoted a little bit. And I know you have a lot to do with compassionate communities as well, but we pivoted towards patients and families and citizens and trying to bring this approach to, right to the um, end users, let's just say, not at the end. Um, have you listened to the podcast at all? I have actually. And so when you were just before you launched it formally, um, I, I don't know if you remember this, but you asked me to look at it. And so I looked at them and I was very touched by them. Um, in fact, what was happening at the time was I was having a personal experience in that my wife has been actually in Portugal now for quite a few years. Your listeners may see by my name that I'm actually Portuguese background, uh, uh, Portuguese culture born and raised in South Africa, hence the accent, but Portuguese. Um, mm -hmm. But she was in Portugal looking after her dad with advanced dementia at home with no home care support, no doctors to support them. Mm -hmm. um, and then he contracted COVID as well uh, while in hospital and got discharged with COVID. And she was overwhelmed, she and her sister. And I sent them the links to the podcasts. And hey. within a few days, they got back to me. They were sitting there. They would sit there, the two of them. So they're waiting for the dad now to arrive home from hospital, COVID positive. Mm -hmm. And they're overwhelmed by all of this. And they listened to the podcasts. Mm -hmm. And it made such a big difference. Mm -hmm. So because, thank you. Thank you to yeah. both of you and your team. Thank you. Um, because essentially what we're trying to do is to teach patients and families how to um, extract a palliative approach from the healthcare system when the healthcare system might be uncomfortable. But we do it in a way that they don't have to ask for palliative care per se, but in the way that we teach these skills and mindsets, naturally we're hoping they're gonna suck this approach out of the healthcare system. Absolutely. Why, why do you think people are so scared of the word palliative? I think the root cause is because as a modern society, we're afraid of dying and we're afraid of speaking about it. And I think there was a big moment in the history of mankind, I think, looking back, you know, when antibodies suddenly, uh, antibiotics suddenly came along, you know, so we're looking in the early 1900s, mid 1900s, and now there was now cure for diseases that previously had been thought to be incurable, right? And I mean, my mother always tells me the story of living in on the island of Madeira in Portugal and being a little girl. They uh, death was part of of living, and so when a family member was ill, the whole community, the whole village, got together to care for that person and help. Mm -hmm. And then, when the person died, they would have this the wake, which was important ritual because it says they acknowledge death. And then, when all of a sudden came these treatments that we can now cure some of these diseases, like in this case, pneumonias um, and hospitals, and it became very hospital centric. Um, and suddenly we got divorced of that as a, as a society. So for us now, death is such a foreign thing. And most of all, it represents a failure, I think. Mm -hmm. And so I think the word then palliative then has got that connotation. Mm -hmm. um, 
And there's a lot of work we need to do to 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 dismantle that because it's about living. It's mm -hmm. not about dying. Mm -hmm. And so many people think it's just about end of life, as, Absolutely. as mentioned before. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So all this work you're doing, um, how do you know it's working? Well, first, yeah. when my when my wife phoned me and said, "What a difference it's made! What you're doing, I know it's working." No, but what about you? What about <laughs> what about Pallium and Leap? Do you have right, a so, if it's working or not? Yeah. So we've over the years we've been doing uh, evaluations and research. Um, so and and these have been published in various ways, and some of them are reports. Some of them are actually published manuscripts. So, for example, um, we did uh, studies with the uh, from all the learners that, that took the course from 2015 to 2017, so that's two years, there were over 7,000 learners, there were about 4,000 people that responded to all. So we, we tested their knowledge, their attitudes, their comfort using these uh, scales, surveys before and then after the course. And so we've found significant improvements in knowledge, attitudes and comfort related to providing a palliative care approach. And then you're going to say, okay, but that might be short lived. Uh, mm -hmm. That's, you know, soon after. So what we do with them, we ask all, all the learners to commit to doing three things differently that um, as a result of doing the course in their practices. So they, they make these commitments. We call them the commitments, um, the commitment to change. And then four months later, we contact them and we said, you know, four months ago, this is exactly what you said. And so it's, so it's tailored for every person. It's, it's, it's individualized. Mm -hmm. To what extent were you able to implement these? And give us examples of what the impact was. I've reflected on 20,000 of these as part of the research we've been doing. The stories are incredible. There's one that I can just, off the, just remember right now. Um, they learned about palliative sedation for someone who was really struggling a lot um, that they were caring for, came to the course, did the palliative sedation. And in Shirot was the very next day we had a case where we did do that and I was able to respond to it. So we've got examples of um, making a difference, uh, initiating palliative care earlier for patients, improving their quality of life, keeping them home for much longer, avoiding emergency department visits. So for me, that's the greatest evidence that things are changing. And we've got research from other colleagues who've done with the paramedics. We've been very involved in training mm -hmm. paramedics across the country where the, param where the paramedics are saying, we never thought that it'd be joyful providing part of end of life mm -hmm. care it brings us fulfillment it brings us mm -hmm. meaning in our job so mm -hmm. i think those are all glimpses of its working definitely so begs the question what's next for pallium so we um we've just launched our strategic plan so uh, one of the big things is to spread and scale up even more so there are hundreds and hundreds of hospitals across the country where the uh, work staff could be trained up on these basic skill sets that are so important and make a difference. Um, the other interesting uh, aspect going forward is um, we, we're going to be the Canadian lead for a project called ECHO. Mm -hmm. So ECHO comes over United States and basically what it was, it started off about 15 years ago where there was an outbreak of a a certain liver disease in New Mexico in the States. And there were very few healthcare professionals in that region that uh, knew about um, the, the treatment of this disease. So they connected by virtually to a specialist in the in a center who gave them advice. Well, that project is spread, spread around the world. Mm -hmm. And so they've asked us to lead the Canadian palliative care arm of it. Mm -hmm. So we're hoping to develop these communities across the country. So the work that you do that CN does um, 
that can be showcased. So we're using this opportunity to to accelerate um, this work so that other people become aware of it. So mm -hmm. we're excited about that. We are too, because I think we're featured next week, which yep, is- <laughs> You are, very first one. <laughs> Jose, thank you so much for your time today. Um, you've worked so hard for so long and um, clearly it's making a difference. And we're delighted that you joined us today. Thank you. Um, and I hope that everyone checks out your website, Pallium and Leap. Um, and I know you may be having something come out in the near future for patients and caregivers as well. So that will complement what we're doing in exactly. the podcast. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And right. I just love working alongside you. Thank you. I, <laughs> I thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Please rate, review and subscribe to our podcast and help us get the word out. Our theme music is Maypole by Ketza. The podcast is edited and produced by me, Sien Xiao, and Kayla McMillan. Special thanks to Krista Honstra, Principal of Clarity Hub. Please go to our website to join in the conversation, waitingroomrevolution.com.